For almost a week, it looked as though one of Britain's most successful tech startups was set on a risky decision. OnlyFans, a subscription-based social network, announced that it would permanently ban all sexually explicit content from its servers on October 1st. The announcement was met by shock as adult content is perceived to be OnlyFans' biggest draw. Founded in 2016, OnlyFans has attracted 130 million registered users and over 2 million content creators. OnlyFans' popularity took off during the pandemic as the site's user base rose from less than 20 million and transactions increased sevenfold to 2.36 billion, according to The Guardian. While the service was not originally designed for adult content, the user-friendly interface and subscriber model has made it an attractive destination for sex workers. Creators keep 80% of their revenue, while OnlyFans takes only a 20% cut. After the news of the impending ban broke, sex workers began sharing advice about other platforms that would still work with them. They also expressed fears that the decision could serve to drive the business back underground or back onto the street, after losing one of the few sites that allows individuals to earn real money from adult content. They worried the company was seeking to do what so many others had done, build a business on the back of adult content, then abandon it when mainstream success came calling. As quickly and unexpectedly the decision came, the decision went. The day after its co-founder and adult performance entrepreneur Tim Stokely had given an interview blaming the decision on banks refusing to work with the platform, the firm announced it had struck a deal that would allow normal service to resume. It thanked its, quote, diverse community, but held back from outright acknowledgement of the importance of explicit content on the website. To better understand the world of digital sex work and OnlyFans' recent decisions, I sit down with Professor Mi Ray Miller-Young, Associate Professor of UC Santa Barbara's Feminist Studies Department, for her knowledge of sex work and sexual economies. I did want to start off uh, by asking you a couple of questions surrounding OnlyFans' recent decision to remove all content, adult content, from its servers, and then suddenly rescinding that decision. Would you be able to offer some clarity in regards to the difference between digital sex working spaces and what people would understand as traditional forms of sex work? Sure, Daniel. OnlyFans is an example of these uh, digital sex working spaces that have come to prominence in the uh, recent years, particularly the last 10 years as with the rise of social media, which has made digital sex working more um, uh, of a possibility for a larger range of people, including people who never would have thought to enter sex work. You know, the digital world allows all this flexibility for sex workers. And by sex workers, I'm thinking of a very broad representation of people who could be people who usually work in the porn industry or the stripping industry, or people who are um, also involved in the camming industry. Um, and it also may involve just everyday people um, who are trying to find ways to use their erotic capital to leverage some income in these very difficult times and do so in ways that can protect their security as opposed to entering into a physically based sex work situation, as well as their anonymity, which is important in, in protecting your your identity from potential stigma. People can get fired or outed or treated really poorly from coworkers, bosses, community members when they are found out to be digital sex workers. We've seen this again and again. So there is a great deal of stigma still attached to sex work, including OnlyFans. 
But OnlyFans is an example of a digital sex working space that allows greater flexibility and potential income for sex workers and to do so from the safety and uh, convenience of their own homes, perhaps. It has also been a huge vehicle for the transnational, internationally based sex workers in developing economies or depressed economies from Colombia to Panama to Ukraine, where there are few opportunities for especially young people or women in the digital economy. And this is something that people are using, not just in the United States, but abroad. And it's been growing exponentially uh, during the pandemic, of course. I do want to speak to that for a moment. The wide array of individuals who are utilizing OnlyFans as a space for digital sex work. You mentioned a lot of the appeal behind why they would use digital spaces in comparison to face-to-face forms of sex working. Could you also speak to why it is appealing for women and LGBTQ identities to utilize the uh, space? I think for uh, women identified folks, uh, LGBTQ folks, including uh, great numbers of male uh, identified sex workers find digital space to be safer than let's say the real world. Let's not forget that sex work is criminalized in the majority of the United States. Unless you're in a small county in Nevada, sex work is illegal <laughs> in, most, in most physical settings. And so this is one way around the kind of state violence imposed on sex workers. Now, there is some kind of sex work that is legal, of course, like the porn industry, but that depends on the state. For example, it is legal with permits in California, but not in many other states. And so we have to be cognizant of the fact that sex work is a, is a profession that has historically been criminalized, that's historically been a site of state violence. We have seen, you know, historically the ways in which police and social institutions have taken away the rights of sex workers, have incarcerated them, removed the custody rights for their children, for them to have children, to be with their children, have given them less opportunities to, to be safe and understood. And it even affects things like housing, where people may not be able to get uh, have a housing application fulfilled, state that they're doing sex work, or it is known that they're doing sex work, right? Um, in some states like Louisiana, for a long time, sex workers were equated with sex offenders and had to send out notice of their where they lived which impacted where they could live as sex offenders. No one wants a sex offender to rent from them, right? And so I think that there's a long tradition of abuse, violence, precarity, and insecurity in this country and around the world against sex workers. So it makes total sense that there would be this immigration to the digital world where people can work with anonymity and safety and organize. However, don't forget that these are the times of FOSTA-SESTA. And since 2018, that we have had the kind of ramping up of anti-sex work policy in the United States focused on the digital space. So we saw Backpage uh, taken down and the Craigslist uh, personal sections and many, many other sites either were taken down or forfeited their sites out of fear that they would be prosecuted and held responsible for trafficking. 
And part of this is related to an overall misunderstanding or problematic correlation or conflation with what trafficking really is, right? It used to be that we saw trafficking as bringing people into the country from other places for the purposes of sex work, as well as for other kinds of labor. Let's don't not forget agricultural labor and domestic labor, which is actually the majority of trafficking around the world. Sex workers who are trafficked are often um, conflated with sex workers who are there consensually. And I'm saying consent in air quotes because, you know, you don't consent to poverty, really. And if there is some kind of coercion when you talk about a system that not not just marginalizes but represses and oppresses groups of people and does so through economic control and other means of control. So sex workers are precisely at this very precarious location where they're trying to ache out a living online, negotiating these entrapments that are created by policymakers designed to stop trafficking and child abuse, but not well-designed or well-suited for the industries that they are targeting. There's very little understanding by policymakers and lobbyists exactly what the conditions are, the experiences are, and the needs are of sex workers in the digital space. You mentioned uh, FOSTA-SESTA, and you mentioned how policymakers produce legislation that criminalizes sex work. These powerful entities. I want to speak to the reasoning that OnlyFans had given in its decision to remove all adult content from its servers. The reason that they gave was the banks that we do business with will not process our payments. They are threatening that they will remove themselves from our business and therefore we wouldn't be able to sustain this business. Could you speak to that power dynamic? OnlyFans gave us an excuse for the shutdown that their uh, payment providers and the um, payment processors via the banks, right, and credit card companies like MasterCard would no longer accept sexually explicit material on the site. Interestingly, those companies have been coming out in recent days saying, we didn't say anything like that. So there's a bit of a back and forth. But I think that, you know, what these banks really don't want people to know is the great extent in which they're becoming the arbitrators of what is considered sexually inappropriate and sexually explicit or not. And it's very interesting because, you know, these are extremely subjective questions. You know, historically, pornography is something that even the courts had a difficulty to understand. Famously, Chief Justice Potter Stewart said, I'll know it when I see it, right? We have so much confusion about what exactly is explicit sex and does nudity or not safe for work constitute um explicit? What is the line between explicit and obscene? And there's a problem when we are allowing the banking institutions, as well as some lobbying organizations that are tied to right-wing think tanks and well-funded organizations, historically like morality and media, that have now rebranded themselves as the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. 
they're putting out a great deal of misinformation about the extent to which child sex trafficking, other forms of trafficking and pimping and uh, exposure is happening on these sites. They have very little evidence, first of all, that this is happening to such a degree that it would be a major portion of the site. You have to remember that OnlyFans literally has millions and millions of videos. (laughs) And so while we can ask them to be instituting more measures to control for age limits and certain requirements of the site, for example, making sure that you're not, you know, infringing on trademarks, right? We know that our stuff gets taken down on YouTube when you're just using a song you're not supposed to. Okay, everyone understands that. But now we're having this bizarre conversation about Stopping explicit sexuality on the internet, really. We have to see this in context. In the last few years, these same organizations have been lobbying states, red states like Utah, to declare first pornography as a sexual health epidemic and crisis. Actually, as a a public health crisis that relates beyond the sexual to the problem of marriage and identity and masculinity and children. The second thing is that these same lobbyists and these same states are now pushing the tech companies to, by default, put screening software on smart devices and laptops. We must understand that this is part of a broader push to censor all pornography in the name of protecting children, but really out of what is a Christian, anti-feminist, a kind of evangelical perspective, that sex itself is something that's the problem. Any sex that's not reproductive, that's not in the context of marriage, that's not hegemonically white and, and, and normative. And this is a really a backlash to LGBTQ rights, to Black Lives Matter, to the new generation that is accepting of sex worker rights and trans rights and trying to lift up those voices. I see this as a a really tactical and strategic measure that must be seen in context as a broader anti-sex perspective. Just at the moment where we're ready to break free from a lot of these real traditional frameworks you know, as a society, particularly the younger generation. To circle back to OnlyFans, I think the banks are really scared of being framed as not only just associated with immorality, but actually also being labeled as traffickers, because that's what organizations like Stop Porn Hub are doing, is trying to really use stigma and labeling as ways to scare financial institutions away from supporting digital sex working industries and people. But this is not a surprise for sex workers. For a long time, they have been refused bank accounts by places like Wells Fargo and Bank America. They've been refused credit 
cards. They've had their credit scores refused. They've had financial institutions refuse to loan money. So these are organizations that purport to care about trafficking, but won't give the victims a leg up to start their own business or to support them. So I'm very suspicious of any organizations that say they're in this to protect children and help women and help sexual minorities and keep them safe. When we see all of the nefarious things that they do every day against those same populations. I want, I want to speak to the OnlyFans' decision to rescind its initial ban. After less than a week and significant public outcry on so many social media platforms, OnlyFans had said, we're not going to remove all adult content. What does this mean in regards to the public having this power in pushing back? And what does that mean for the sex workers' rights movement going forward? I will tell you, I'm so excited that the sex worker rights movement has been successful in reframing this decision by OnlyFans and leading to the rescission of that order. I think that this is all thanks to the voices of sex workers and advocates who are pushing against these issues and really letting people know, really in the middle of a pandemic, do you want to take away people's ability to feed their kids? People were coming out with their own stories like, look, I'm a single mom, I'm a disabled veteran, I'm all these things, right? And I need to put food on the table. And your little cute money for kids, uh, the Biden money is not getting to everyone. Certainly sex workers fall out of a lot of this. I know many sex workers who never even got their stimulus checks because of their inability to be legible by the the, the government for assistance, right? Um, or out of fear of being targeted in some way. There's many ways in which sex workers were left out of the financial support during the pandemic. And only fans and sites like it have been a lifeline for them. And so it is so vital that they spoke up at this time and let people know that this is actually an urgent crisis during a public health emergency and an economic collapse that has made these vulnerable populations super vulnerable that they need sites like OnlyFans to create different revenue streams and do so safely and do so on their own terms where they're in control of the, the, the kind of media they're putting out, the level of comfort that they have, for example, making cute pinups versus something more intense. You know, these sites allow people to have choices in how they engage sex work, which is often not possible when you're working for other major companies in the traditional industry. I will say the sex work organizers that I've been talking to were really upset. They were devastated by the OnlyFans decision this week. And I think that they're celebrating right now um, this uh, change of policy, but they're not going to relax. I see the sex worker rights movement pushing ahead to really now show the kind of abuse that financial institutions have been using against them for years. I think they're gonna push also against OnlyFans and the huge exorbitant fees that they take from content providers. And I also see a greater push for a content provider bill of rights that would protect content providers from the kind of doxing and shadow banning and other kinds of measures that are done by social media sites when they're just simply trying to post information to make a living. 
And I also think that this is going to help people think again about, you know, what is our sexual culture? Do we really want to sanitize and erase all of our sexual culture in the name of stopping anti-trafficking in this fake problem that was created by right-wing advocates who have no idea about what trafficking is and actually no investment in actually helping trafficking victims. We are against this carceral push to always ban and criminalize sex work and to misunderstand it and to act like you can just make these huge decisions about people's lives without contacting any sex workers. Like that's really what's stunning to me that they have literally 100,000 content providers and they didn't send out any inquiries like, what would the decision mean to you? Do you think that there should be a pure sexually explicit OnlyFans? Should we have a safer work version? What would make you feel safer? How can we help stop trafficking? You haven't seen any of those measures. They're really just worried about their looks, about their reputation. But I'm very hopeful about sex workers getting to the bottom of it, and I hope we all support them. Thank you to Professor Mi Ray Miller-Young for her time and expertise on the topic. With KCSB News, I'm Daniel Luisias. Take care.